0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. I'm Jillian Schulte-Wall, ASHP's Senior Director of Health and Regulatory Policy, and today I'm joined by Tom Krause, ASHP's Vice President of Government Relations. Today we're going to discuss the recent interest of policymakers in using pharmacists to support primary care. We'll share some of our recent discussions with policymakers and highlight policy changes ASHP is seeking that would empower pharmacists to play a greater role in supporting primary care teams. So we've had several meetings with the Department of Health and Human Services about the, the role of pharmacists in supporting primary care, Tom. So can you tell us more about the federal effort and why the government reached out to us for recommendations on this particular topic?
1: Yeah, great question, Jalan. So the, the federal government and HHS in particular is trying to figure out ways to strengthen primary care. This is an ongoing effort that they have had um, uh, for the past several months, they have uh, reached out to different professional organizations. Um, you know, I think there's particular interest in engaging the pharmacy community because there is an acknowledgement from, from policymakers that over the past uh, couple of years, there's, there's really been uh, a growth in, in leveraging pharmacists to provide access to care, as, as we've discussed on, on prior. Um, podcast, you know, there really has been this um, this shift in in mentality and approach from from policymakers with regard to how they see pharmacists. They they clearly are increasingly looking to pharmacists as clinical care providers and points of access in the healthcare system. And so, you know, I think that is. Um, that is kind of what motivated them to, uh, to reach out to ASHP, um, and, and they've also reached out to some organizations that we partner with um, through coalitions, and I'll be happy to kind of share some of the perspectives, maybe slight variations on our proposals that those
0: groups have shared as well. Okay, great. And so, I mean, pharmacists do a lot of different things. So, in talking to HHS officials, what have we really highlighted about pharmacists and how they can best support primary care teams? Yeah, so
1: well, first of all, I think the, the, maybe the, one of the most important things to note is our recommendations are not about pharmacists replacing uh, the role of physicians in delivering primary care services. That is not what, what this is about. I don't think that's what HHS is seeking. It's not what the SHP is seeking, right? We are um, trying to identify ways that the healthcare system can leverage um, pharmacists as clinic care pro- clinical care providers as part of a broader care team. So, you know, some of the things that, um, that we have talked about, and I think the pharmacy community generally has talked about is, as I mentioned, there, there has been this experience over the past year of pharmacists playing this greater role as a point of access um, in the healthcare system and wanting to figure out okay, we, we had this experience with COVID, how do we leverage that for other. Um, other types of services that pharmacists can provide, and, and part of that role is also referring patients to um, to other other care providers when that is appropriate. I think there's also this recognition that in medically underserved communities, and many in many instances, it is a pharmacist that is most likely to be present in that community as. A source of care and I think the the HHS policymakers kind of increasingly recognize that and want to figure out okay how do we how do we uh, make the most of, of the pharmacist uh, in that role and then of course you know from from our perspective uh, from the health uh, health system pharmacist perspective we want to make sure that this is you know focused on the role of the pharmacist in managing medication therapy so I'd say ASHP's recommendations focus on three main themes. One is around expanding the range of services that pharmacists can provide, one is around securing reimbursement for those services, and then one is around training and supporting pharmacy residency programs. So with regard to expanding the range of services that pharmacists can provide, you know, you know during the during COVID-19 we have seen um, uh, state governments use their emergency authorities to expand scope of practices, scope of practice for pharmacists. Um, we have seen the federal government use its emergency authority through something called the PREP Act, which is an authority that it can use to expand the scope of services that pharmacists can provide nationwide. And it has it has actually done that, and for the for the first time, um, and that what they did was allow pharmacists to provide vaccination services nationwide with ordering and administration of vaccines, um, ordering and administration of certain tests uh, related to COVID-19, flu and RSV, um, and uh, administration of therapy for COVID-19. And so that is that is um, a significant use of authority by the federal government to, to leverage pharmacists to provide those care services. So one of our messages has been uh, to the federal government: look at look at where that has worked. That has expanded access. We know that it has significantly expanded uh, access to vaccination. We know that it has significantly uh, expanded access to testing, and it is expanding access to um, to therapy. And so. Um, how can you leverage that in other situations? And so one of our our key messages is, you know, think about those situations that are time-sensitive where the pharmacist can intervene. Think about those situations where there is a point-of-care test available. So things like uh, point-of-care testing for influenza, uh, ability to uh, administer antivirals, order and administer antivirals for for influenza. Um, uh, What about things like... um, uh, uh, leveraging pharmacists to provide access to uh, post-exposure prophylaxis for um, for HIV, um, and you know you can th- think about kind of similar point of care testing uh, and, and and treatment options available for uh, for strep and, and other other uh, indications. So I think there's good examples, and we want to kind of help the government identify. Okay, this is a this is a sort of discrete service. Um, particularly when there is something that is time sensitive or has a, a point of care test uh, and a, 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 an outpatient treatment that a pharmacist is well positioned to, to provide access to. Those are the kinds of situations uh, that we want them thinking about and leveraging pharmacists. And then on the reimbursement side, um, you know, we, there's a couple of mechanisms there. One of the frustrations Uh, that we've experienced during the COVID-19 process is that even though pharmacists have the authority to do things like provide access to Paxlovid by by ordering that medication, um, there is generally not authority for pharmacists to be paid for doing the patient assessment necessary to, to order that medication. And that has created a significant barrier to pharmacists actually being able to provide that service. So one of the things that we've emphasized with the government is, look, it's great to provide the scope of practice authority to provide a service. But if you don't pair that with with an appropriate reimbursement um, for the services, then you're not actually going to get real access because it's going to be impossible for most pharmacists to be able to provide that service. Now, this isn't just about provider status. Right. Certainly, uh, as I think many of our listeners are aware, ASHP has, has for a long time advocated for Um, direct reimbursement of pharmacists in the Medicare program. We've seen that expand and then that's really been a high point uh, over the past several years of in the Medicaid and commercial markets, uh, we have seen direct payment to pharmacists expanding, but there are other other mechanisms available. Like one of those mechanisms is incident two billing and in the health system setting um, where most of ASHP's members are practicing, um, that incident two mechanism can be effective. You th- These are these are generally situations where you are practicing in collaboration with other members of the care team that are able to build the Medicare program. And so uh, what we want to be able to do is encourage the government to allow those members of the care team to bill for the clinical services provided by pharmacists on the care team, including when those are relatively complex services. Right now, there are limitations on when a physician can bill for um, clinical services, complex clinical services uh, for evaluation and management that are provided by a pharmacist on the team. So we want to make sure that there is greater authority for the team to leverage the, the pharmacist with whom they work. And Then the last theme was around education. So there was a lot of interest from HHS in understanding Are there there opportunities to expand training of pharmacists to be able to provide a a greater range of of clinical care services? And, you know, our our emphasis there is let's make sure we're preserving access to um, PGY1 funding. Uh, For those residency programs, let's expand that. If there are, if there's an interest in the federal government in expanding access to pharmacist services related to infectious disease, let's go fund those programs. You know, if it's if it's an interest in leveraging uh, pharmacists around opioid use disorder, let's let's go fund behavioral health uh, programs that would that would support those services. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity for HHS to to recognize the role that pharmacists can play. If they're worried about, you know, having enough of a pharmacist workforce that is trained in some of these more specialized areas, the way to do that is to support uh, residency training programs.
0: That's a really comprehensive kind of summary of the conversations you had. But I think one of the things that uh, maybe people aren't as aware of is that we do a lot of work um, with other outside groups as well on this, on this issue. Um, so ASHP in particular works closely with GTMRx where they get the Medications Right Institute to advance access to comprehensive medication management. So how does that relationship with G- GTMRx kind of contribute to our advocacy on supporting primary care?
1: Yeah, that's right. We, we, we do work with GTMRx to support expanded access to comprehensive medication management. And we see that as... Uh, as, as supporting primary care, the the GTMRx uh, program was an outgrowth of the comprehensive primary care uh, initiatives um, from a decade ago. And so one of the things that was recognized is to, you know, to really um, have successful primary care one of the things that you need is effective management of medication therapy and so that's that this actually ties directly to supporting primary care and it's not in any way in competition um, with uh, with how primary care is is provided so um, the GTMRx focused on a couple of different things number one making sure that that um, that that medical benefit plans, whether that's Medicare, Medicaid, VA, um, commercial payers, they should promote and compensate interprofessional care teams um, for providing comprehensive medication management services, preferably through through value-based models. But under the current fee-for-service model, we need mechanisms to do that as well. They have actually also uh, supported uh, allowing physicians to bill for complex evaluation and management services. Um, provided by pharmacists on the care team. Uh, uh, That is is a way that the the physician-led team can um, have full access to the types of services, so the the medication management services that a physician can, a pharmacist can provide. um, And it allows that that pharmacist to be a revenue generator for the care team. So um, I think there's a lot of um, overlap in the interest of GTMRX in supporting the primary care team and, and how that ties to uh, our interest in, in making sure the pharmacist is, is leveraged on that care team. And then again coming back to training there is also GTMRX has also been a, a strong supporter of ensuring that there is tra- there are training programs to have a sufficient workforce of interprofessional care team members, including clinical pharmacists that are credentialed and privileged to provide comprehensive medication management services to meet patient and population needs. So I think those things really um, tie together. They're consistent with HHS's goals and they're they're, um, uh, really complementary to some of the recommendations that we were providing HHS um, from the ASHP side of the house.
0: Great. And so we also work with the Future of Pharmacy Care Coalition um, to partner on advocacy. So what is the Future of Pharmacy Care Coalition, and how does its advocacy support the role of pharmacists in primary care?
1: Yeah, so folks who who have listened to this podcast in, in prior months Uh, may recognize that name, the the Future of Primary Care Coalition. That is the coalition of pharmacy organizations uh, and rural health organizations and patient groups that have come together to say, um, we recognize that there is value in in pharmacists providing access to um, clinical care services, and there needs to be a way to pay for those services. So that group Uh, is um, supporting the uh, equitable community access to pharmacist care uh, care act. That is legislation that would provide a mechanism for Medicare to pay for some of these services that we've been discussing earlier in the podcast. Things like um, vaccination services, testing services for uh, COVID, flu, RSV, and strep, and initiation of um, of medication therapy, um, including the patient assessment necessary to support that. So it's, it's basically a, a tailored version of um, a, a pharmacist provider status focused on uh, some of these, these specific services um, that we know policymakers are wanting to, to leverage pharmacists to provide. I think what's great about uh, this coalition is it brings together so many different interested parties uh, in the healthcare ecosystem. Uh, As I mentioned, it has pharmacy groups, it has rural health groups, has patient groups, um, has provider organizations. Um, Over two hundred organizations have come together to recognize um, the role that pharmacists can play in providing greater access to patient care. And so, you know, I'm. really uh, kind of excited about that, that coalition and how um, these different groups are kind of all uh, all coming together to say, actually, this does tie to primary care needs of, of patients, particularly in rural and medically underserved communities. And so it's just, it's another voice that's feeding into this um, conversation about the role that pharmacists can play in advancing primary care.
0: Thanks so much, Tom. I think that was a really great overview of the work that ASHP is doing to advance um, pharmacists in primary care. So that's all the time we have today. And I just want to thank Tom again for joining us to talk about this important issue. Join us here the first Tuesday of every month where we will be talking about all things advocacy related. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes show notes and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHB Official.